Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Colt, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me all the way across the Atlantic Ocean is the gold standard in ghost hunting and the cover of GQ, Mr. Steve Parsons. What did I make the cover? I don't know. I just made... I just made that up. Oh, I see. Okay. Hey, I was um, I was reliving our adventure today, the day we went to Salem when I was editing the video. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a shame. Good days. That was a fun day out. It was? Yeah, it took us two and a half hours to get there. Huh? According to the video. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what a, bit clever, a bit of clever editing. Yeah, anyway, so, yeah, today I, uh, I finally got round to starting to edit the video of, uh, of some of the trips that we took whilst uh, whilst I was over there recently. Oh, I so. didn't realize you had recorded stuff, but that's interesting anyways. You, you did, because you made you made some um, stuff to the camera. Remember the GoPros? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, those uh, things. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was low budget, but, you know, it worked, hey? Mm. So, anyways... Uh, it's getting close to Halloween here in the U.S., and, of course, people are going crazy. And You know, you'll never guess what. It's also getting close to Halloween here in the U.K. as well. No way. Re- seriously. Really? How, how weird is that? What a weird coincidence that Halloween mm-hmm. is both sides of the Atlantic. I thought if it was in the Northern Hemisphere, it was different than the Southern Hemisphere. Ah, uh, that might be, uh, yeah. When do your clocks change? Mm, Halloween. Yeah. Same as ours this year. That's, that's doubly weird. I, wait a minute. I got a stupid question. Yeah. And and you're you're a man about the world, so I will uh, ask you this. Now, I'm regret this, aren't I? No, 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 no. You, this is this is really something that you know I had okay. never never really thought about until just this second. But um, as you know, in, in the the northern hemisphere, when it's it's uh, winter here. It's mm-hmm. summer, summer in the southern. Yeah. Well, are the months the same? Do they have their winter uh, uh, in summer? I mean, like in July? And do, do they have? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. Um. They're, yeah. They're, no, no. Yeah. What kind of answer is that? No. Yeah. <laughs> a typically English answer. <laughs> no, seriously. In, I, I in Australia. In Australia. Yeah. Uh, they they have their Christmas in midsummer. Because their summer is this is our winter, so yeah, they call it. They actually call it summer, and it it, it is still the same month and day, right? Oh yeah, it's December twenty fifth. Oh, that's, that's weird, huh? They celebrate Christmas the same day. Well, slightly ahead of us because obviously they're they're nearly twenty four hours ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, on December twenty fifth, in the height of midsummer in Australia, they celebrate Christmas. Is that wow? That's that's strange. So. Evidently, the Northern Hemisphere is, is one that dictates the calendar 
Well, the Northern Hemisphere actually has the the greatest population dense, uh, greatest population. The Southern Hemisphere is incredibly um, sparse, sparsely populated. I oh. think. It's around about only 10 or 15% of the world's population live in the Southern Hemisphere. Hmm. It's a very, very small number uh, because, obviously, you've got those vast tracts of ocean in the South. Right, right. Um, Isn't that funny? Because, you know, all these years... Because the world being flat. Yeah, you know, I'm like 110 years old, and and yeah. I never really thought of that. But, yeah, it's, so thanks for answering that for me. Uh, You're most welcome. That is why you are the gold standard, you know what I mean? I, well, it's... Yeah, well, or, or I've got the calendar app open on the phone. <laughs> but, but is that for Australia? Uh, it is. It, okay. it's ac- it is accurate because at the moment, uh, my, in fact, my nephew's just returned from Australia and New Zealand. So, uh, oh, cool. Oh. I'm, aware, I'm aware of the time zones. So that, that was pretty cool. I had never yeah. really thought about that. Yeah, they, they, they have their Christmas dinner uh, on the beach, Bondi Beach. They all go down to the beach and... Um, have Christmas dinner. They, they, they have, funnily enough, quite bizarrely, uh, and I guess this is the same for Florida and the, the hot states, California, where they never see snow. They have the same sort of Christmas decorations as well with snow and robins and Christmas trees and, you know, sort of sleigh yeah. rides. Yeah, it, that, that's true. Too. Irrespective of the season. You know, you go to Australia and you'll get center in a sleigh, um, yeah, but that's that's a temperature thing versus a seasonal thing. Yeah, but I mean it's yeah. it's it's midsummer. Yeah, it's not very far off because of course midwinter day is December twenty first, which is the midsummer's day. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they're only four days off mid, literally midsummer, and they're celebrating Christmas. Interesting. Uh, yes. Very weird is that. CC from uh, the Pararex uh, chat room informs me that November 6th is the clock change. So I will uh, yield to her. So, uh, that will be the first time in living memory that you have actually changed clocks before we have. Because normally you change first and we follow a week later. Very occasionally it's the same day. So I would double check that. I'm not wishing to disrespect CC, but. America normally changes. In fact, in the spring, you did change first. So, um, well, just double checking. We change on Halloween. You do? Halloween weekend. Well, Halloween weekend. All right. So, so Sunday, uh, the early hours of you know the, the Sunday morning, next Sunday. Nope, November 6th. She is absolutely right. How very bizarre is that? So you're changing. So we go first then. Evidently. Oh. I'll be really old. Never mind. Hey ho. Hey ho. Hey ho. Richard Richard used to always screw that up. What? Hey ho. No, the uh the times he'd always forget we changed the clocks and uh Richard's yeah, yeah, an hour date. (laughs) Yeah. Turn up just as the show finished. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. All right, so uh Halloween's coming up and It uh, is season of the witch. And and also, you know, everybody you know, I'm sure it's the same with you, but you, you get lots of re- requests from newspapers and stuff for one of the comment about ghosts and stuff. So yeah, every- it's the only time of the year I'm actually popular. Yeah, uh, everybody's thought goes to ghosts. So I, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, haunted locations, uh, you know, in, in different ways. First of all, uh, you know, you, you've worked on Most Haunted, which, mm-hmm. have, which you had... Which- yeah, which isn't that funny, huh? Which you had, uh, 
access to a lot of unique locations. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm kind of interested. But before we start off, let's start off yeah. with with a little bucket list. So if we did this on the morning show, and I, I think it's a great idea. If you could pick one place to investigate in the entire world, where would you go? Honestly? Yes. I would return back to the Camelot shipyard um, investigation that we were left unfinished six or seven years ago. And, and why? Because we left it unfinished, and I hate to leave things unfinished. And it was a fascinating and challenging investigation on location. It was the former Camelot shipyard on the banks of the River Mersey, um, which people can go to the Parascience website and read all about. And it's it's a pretty mundane place, you know. It's not Eastern State Penitentiary. It's not the Queen Mary. It's not the Tower of London. I know. Yeah, you're thinking of all these cool places, and you're trying to go to a they're, place. They're cool because they're just cool. You know, they're they're, they're royal palaces, but I'm first and foremost. I'm still a ghost hunter, and I, I had you know we spent many thousands of man hours at Camelard uh, at the shipyard conducting uh, an intense investigation, and we were forced at the end to walk away uh, and leave leave the job uncompleted, and leave you know questions hanging in the air that we so. Well, you've got me intrigued about because, you know, that's not even close or anything I would have thought about. So when you say you haven't completed the investigation, what do you mean by that? You've actually collected data. So what, what is what is left undone? Well, it's not a case of left undone. It's a case that we we were. When, you, when we start an investigation, we start off on the basis of there are some questions to be answered. Uh, we were called to the location because members of staff who worked there had had experiences. They'd seen apparitions. They'd they'd uh, sensed presences. They'd had a, a range of paranormal experiences, and we were we were asked to investigate it. We were asked to try and decide what was happening. Certainly, we were able to explain some instances as being normal, but. Uh, over the years, and I stress the years that we were there, and we weren't going once or twice a year. We were going three or four times a week in some instances. Mm-hmm. We were we were facing situations, experiences, events that were taking place that we were unable to explain um, at the time. And as new technologies and experiments became available, we wanted to revisit some of the experiences to see if they could be looked at again. Um, and it wasn't just a case of uh, just trying to explain old things. We were constantly facing new challenges. I've explained, you know, I've already talked on the show in the, in the, in the past about some of the things that took place, the lights going on and off when they, when they really couldn't have, you know, not shouldn't have done, but couldn't have done, and yet they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, footsteps, doors opening and closing, stuff that really is challenging, and it would be difficult not to say it was paranormal. Because the, the, a paranormal explanation represents the very best ex- explanation that was possible under the circumstances. Because we threw a lot of uh, hours at trying to find plausible explanations. Okay, 
I want to interrupt you for a second because we do have a question from Cece in the uh, Pararex chat. And she, I guess she's a little confused about the location. She said, is this the one with multiple buildings? And were they all in a row, like a pier? And why don't you tell them what city it was in? And uh, is that kind of what the place was like? Okay, for a detailed uh, explanation of the case, um, if you go to www.parascience.org.uk, you can find it there, the apparently Camelot shipyard. But it was a shipbuilding uh, facility on the banks of the River Mersey, uh, so uh, opposite the city of Liverpool in the UK. Okay. It was a shipyard that that had existed since the middle of the 19th century. He had built some very famous ships. Uh, The Americans would be aware of, for example, the the CSS Alabama was built at Camelard. Camelard also built many of the warships that we used during World War II. It built ocean liners and had closed, uh, had ceased shipbuilding in the 1990s, although it is now subsequently reopened to shipbuilding. Uh, But at the time, members of staff who were working in what had been the 1960s built technical drawing offices which had been built specifically for the Polaris submarine um, shipbuilding program had reported experiences uh, that included the apparition of something as mundane as the cleaning lady wearing a green overall, you know, like like a green um, smock yeah, like a smock, like a pinafore um, affair. That you know, they thought it was the cleaning lady. They thought it was the tea lady that they were experiencing. There had been really strange things, like one of the the staff had made a cup, uh, had made tea for the people that, that were in the building, but they were consistently making an extra cup of tea because they thought that there was somebody else there, who who in, who in reality, you know, there was no there was no additional person. Oh wow. Um, there was this constant feeling of another person being there and sometimes there were sightings of another person. Now, that was what initially we were asked to, to look at. But one of the, one of the other things that we were, had, had long been aware of um, is that the shipbuilding hall, the place in which the boats, the ships were built, which was one of the largest buildings in Western Europe at the time, and probably still is, um, had a long history of, of, of apparitions associated with it. This building had been put right... Uh, it was it was built over the original slipia, slipia, slipway mm-hmm. um, in order that they could construct ships indoors like, you right. know, so that they could work on them all year round. Rob, right. I mean, it, it's quite common nowadays to have ships built indoors and then right. pushed out. Yeah. At Portsmouth uh, Harbour... Like, uh... Military yeah. base, they, they have that. Um, so the shipbuilding hall existed, and it's it, it, it also had a long history of apparitions, including um, you know uh, the, the, the many people who had been killed over the you know the hundred and fifty years of the shipyard's existence whilst working on the boats. Mm-hmm. She asked this: It was the uh, uh, let's see, which is supposedly built with wood from the Drake ship. Uh, the Golden Hind. Is oh that- no, 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 no! The Camelard ship, the Camelard shipyard, uh, was could first began uh, in the eighteen mid mid nineteenth century. Uh, it was on reclaimed land in Birkenhead, which is on the Wirral Peninsula, directly opposite Liverpool. Oh, okay, and was built specifically for constructing ships. 
uh, it was a, pr- a purpose-built. Uh, what 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 uh, CC is mistaking it for is Portsmouth, um, the naval dockyard at Portsmouth, where the Mary Rose and uh, other uh, naval vessels were, were. You have investigated that too. Uh, I have, yes, yeah. but uh, but you know, I, I you know the question was. Right, right. Which, which one would you, if you had a wish list, where would you go back yeah, to? Yeah, No, I was just answering that question because yeah. that was the second part of it. She said, did you investigate that? And, the, and yes, the yes, yes. I've been in yep. the fortunate position of, of, of investigating that. Okay, cool. So uh, who commissioned you to do this? Uh, actually, it was actually the staff who, when the shipyard had ceased operations as a ship, as a working shipyard, it had uh, been bought by a consortium of businessmen um, speculators who were going to sell the, sell the land and develop, redevelop it into other uses uh, commercial and um, industrial, residential and they had they maintained an office on the site uh, using this old shipbuilding hall um, which, which was also used for other occasional purposes, for example um, they they regularly flew hot air balloons inside it. It was so fast. Oh wow! The, the Virgin Atlantic. Do you remember when Richard Branson flew the Atlantic in a hot air balloon? Um, that yeah. was that was that was test flown inside the building, um, the shipbuilding hall. So that gives you an idea of the scale of this building. That one of the world's largest hot air balloons was test flown inside it. Um, so. It was the staff there, their experiences. Um, they called, they called on us to see if we could offer some, some, something of an explanation. Hmm. Interesting. And so, uh, you know, I know we talked about a little some of the stuff that going on. I mean, what was left because you couldn't get answers that you considered it being unfinished? Um, well, the problem was as fast as we were, it, some things we could answer. But there were the more we looked, the more questions we came up with because we initially were charged with dealing with this one office block, this 1960s office block, and there are plenty of pictures online that, that show it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first, but we, we were aware of the stories that related to the shipbuilding hall, the giant building, the, the hangar or the barn, as, we, as we've nicknamed it. So in trying to deal with with these two locations, as much as we were trying to answer one question, like what were people seeing, why were people seeing this figure uh, of the cleaning lady, um, we were measuring things, and we had we had people there week in, week out, night in, night out, day in, day out, and they were having additional experiences which were posing more and more questions. For example, we were there looking for apparitions with a BBC film crew um, when all the experience with all of the lights going on and off and all of the doors opening and closing took place. So that in itself, then, our experience, you know, we had to study, we had to explore, we had to try and understand what took place. Uh, we had to try and replicate it, see if it was a normal explanation. And as much as we were trying to deal with that, then something else would take place. Mm-hmm. So um, it was. The, we ended up uh, as fast as we were dealing with with somebody's experience. We we ended up being you know facing more and more questions from the location. 
and more and more experiences that we that we needed to to try and understand. But isn't that uh, you know isn't that common with all paranormal locations? I mean, you're going to get more and more questions, more and more new things happening, and and you can't you'll never. I mean, in reality, if you you'll never complete the investigation. Well, it, it, it kind of depends on the boggle threshold. There, there have been a lot of investigations where we where we have completed the investigation because you you either can't progress any further. Um, for example, the private house where we saw the extraordinary temperature drop, we couldn't. We had to complete the investigation because we couldn't go any further with it. We couldn't live in the house. We couldn't. Rig it. The technology didn't allow us then to um, fit 24-hour data recording thermometers. Mm -hmm. um, so it becomes a point where you, you've done the best that you possibly can and you can go no further, that, and the, you have to draw a line under the investigation. Um, but with, with the shipyard, interestingly, we never got to the point where we were ready to draw a line. We still had things that we could try, there was there were still things that we felt that we could do to push our knowledge and understanding of the experiences further forwards, and the frustration was and the mistake we made was we allowed um, first of all Kieran and Yvette to come in because they were looking for a location for the book of the Ghost Hunters mm -hmm. that was unusual and off the beat track, and we allowed them to use the location of the shipyard. Um, for the book on the understanding that they wouldn't then use it for or it would never appear or be used for Most Haunted mm -hmm. or appear in the media. They broke that promise. Um, that promise was, was cast to one side and a few months later, uh, Most Haunted did in fact uh, use the location and it was shortly after that that all investigations at the location were stopped. By, by who? Uh, by the location owners, by the consortium, the business consortium who had um, originally been so generous with us. The reason that they gave, of course, was of course, once it had been on Most Haunted, their phones never stopped ringing. Right, ghost, right. ghost hunting groups wanting to, oh, well, we can do a better job than, than the television and we'll pay you X amount of money. Now, you were dealing with multi-millionaires uh, in, in this consortium who really didn't, you know, they weren't interested in a few hundred pounds a night for a building. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was, it wasn't even, didn't even register as petty cash. Mm -hmm. what, they, what they were curious about from us was a series of answers, and they were satisfied with the answers, and they were being, they'd been very, very cooperative. However, when that reached the stage of their phones, uh, you know, the, their day-to-day -day business life being interfered with by people phoning up going, can I come and have a look at your ghosts? Yeah. Um, that that sort of put us an end to it. So we were we were badly let down by by our experience with um, or our interaction with Kieran and Yvette on that occasion. You know that that's that happens in a lot of a lot of times. Uh, you know, you do an investigation. Somebody is curious about something that's going on. So you go in and you do an investigation on it, and uh, you know they don't mind. They said, okay, you, you know, you can you can talk about it, you can write about it, whatever. Uh, so you do that, and the next thing you know, there's tons of other groups trying to get in there, and, and the people that own the location are really aren't interested in, in having other groups go in, and yet 
the other groups start complaining that like oh you have an exclusivity of it so therefore you know you're not really uh playing fair and all this other stuff i mean that that happens so many times uh you know even in in, in what my work uh that it that it happens it's do you agree or or not no, it's, it's sickening. The people, and, and there have been there have been a lot of instances where where both sides of the Atlantic people think that they have a god given right to investigate. Um, they they will break into locations, but more more true, true. more uh, disturbingly, and this is something that, that as a group, parascience has always never ever you know we've we've never ever done is stamp on another group's investigation because we think that's and I mean it's just the height of bad manners if nothing else exactly um, you know to think that you should just wade into a, a location because you know we've had people come along we've had people then uh, quietly or well, think they think quietly yeah. uh, approach the location the next day after they visited. And to say, you know, can, can we come along? We'll offer you. I don't know how much they're paying you, but we'll pay you double that. Or mm-hmm. uh, and we can bring thirty people, and we can make this a monthly thing. And you should give us exclusive rights to the to the location because we can do a better job than than Parascience can. And it's just, you know, it's just not the dumb. It's it's just rude. Exactly. But it's you're, you're right. Some because, people, some people believe it's their God given right, and yeah, it's it's yeah. sad. Uh, We've we've actually been in a position where a location has said to us, we would like you to have a look at it. Um, And we've turned it down because there was already another group there um, in situ. And we said that when they finish what they're doing or you have, you know, you've decided you don't want them there any longer. Mm -hmm. That's a different matter. Then you can come and ask, you know, you can approach us. But we would never uh, come along whilst there is another group conducting an investigation because it's the height of bad manners and we wouldn't like it done to us so we wouldn't do it to somebody else mm-hmm. and it is just the height of bad manners it, you know, it's groups who think that they are somehow better than any other group or that they have a right to be there or that you know the world owes them a living mm-hmm. and it's just it's just not you know it, i think it's just something it, it, it well, frankly it stinks mm-hmm. i'm gonna be honest about it right I mean, and a lot of these TV shows do pay a decent amount of money for site locations. Not all of them, but some of them do, Uh, especially ones that don't want, um, you know, a lot of publicity as far as uh, they don't want to be open to investigations. Yet, you know, they want to be, uh, especially nonprofit, they want to be uh, paid for their things. So they might pay a couple thousand dollars to do an investigation from a TV show. And, uh, you know, some some. Uh, amateur group, for lack of a better word, uh, wants to go in for, you know, nothing really, or a hundred quid or something. You know, it, it's just not, you know, it's not the parody. It's just not right. It works the other way around as well, because, you know, there are plenty of locations that have been on television for, you know, a show, mm-hmm. and then think that they can, you know, you watch the prices zoom up. Um, Anyways, you know, they've been a hundred bucks, and then they're a thousand bucks because yep. they've been as seen on TV. There's the heartbeat, so we got to take a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick right here on Tojinet Pararex, Planet Paranormal, and wherever the hell else we are. We'll be right back after following messages.
Hey, listen, high atop of Nuns Hill in Groveland stands the Chapel of the Little Missionary Sisters of Charity in Vesey Memorial Park. This serene scene will be the location for one of the most extraordinary events ever to be held. For three days and two nights, these sacred grounds will host the realm of Dan Brown's best-selling novels, Angels and Demons, and The Da Vinci Code. As part of the event, like in the novels, you become a symbolologist and follow a set of clues on your own quest to find a missing relic. And there's so much more. Costume dining with the dead, a conclave, a Da Vinci ghost hunt, red light seance, workshops and presentations, a papal death mask, a replica of the Shroud of Turin, and speakers like Keith Johnson from Ghost Hunters, Steve Parsons from the UK, psychic artist Nancy Smith, and Ron Kolick from Ghost Chronicles, and many others. Go to NewEnglandGhostProject.com, that's N-E-GhostProject.com, or CirclesOfWisdom.com for more information and to purchase tickets. Or call 978-455-6678. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. fades away that reminds us that it's part two of ghost chronicles international the one that comes to you from both sides of the atlantic not the one that comes to you from both sides of boston or a little studio in methuen it is methuen isn't it ron what is the morning edition Ah, uh, yeah that's methuen yeah there you go yeah. so this is the other one this is the one that goes trans spans the globe yeah yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. and before the break, we were talking about, yeah, people with a God-given right to investigate the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So, but, what? Well, I was going to say, we have a, a word of the week. I was just going to say that. Go on, then. Ghost Chronicles International is brought to you today by the word witch. Which is appropriate. 
Well, it's kind of appropriate because it's the season of the witch. It's Halloween. And I'm speaking to you from our, our recently decorated Halloween house here in... I took a, I took a leaf out of the American book room and um, we've decorated this year. We have, we have a full-blown graveyard in the front, front garden mm-hmm. and green, spooky green lighting and spider webs. And... Anyway, the word of the week is witch, which is a feminine word. Uh, so I've concentrated... Because everybody really knows what the word means. Um, you know, this woman thought to have evil magic powers... Uh, depicted as wearing a black cloak or a pointy hat and flying on a broomstick. Uh, although the modern digital version, they're on, they're on these uh, vacuum cleaners now, aren't they? But uh, it's a feminine word. It's an old English word. Uh, and it's the feminine form of wicca, which is the masculine word. Uh, and in, in the old English, it would have been pronounced witcher or witchen which, of course, has been changed to from witching, witch, to witch. There we are. So there we are. It's an old English word. And if you refer to somebody as a witch, you are, in fact, using the feminine form of the word wicker. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm just saying a hello to uh, uh, CC. She does investigating and... In, uh, uh, San Francisco, which must be a cool city. Have you ever been out there? I haven't. I've I've got as far as LA, mm-hmm. but not not gone up the coast to um, to San Francisco. I, we did try and hire a car because I wanted to go up the Golden Gate Bridge, but unfortunately, that day, apparently, uh, for three days a year, yeah, there there are only three days a year you can see the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, the rest of the time, it's it's shrouded in fog. Oh, really. So the weather forecast said that it was very foggy in San Francisco, so we we, we thought we'd stay in LA and not spend the money there on the There you go. There you go. So, too bad you could have. Sorry, CC. Mm. Uh, you've been to the Queen Mary, though, right? I have. I've been to Long Beach. Southern California. Yep. Yeah, SoCal. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've been seeing the Queen Mary um, and lots of other cool stuff in and around Southern California. But uh, no, not been not been any. There are two states that I'd love to. Uh, well, two parts of America I'd love to uh, visit, um, which is Washington State and Oregon State. So, so North California, Oregon, Washington, up really? there, Pacific Seaboard, northern northwestern Pacific Seaboard. Ooh, why? Uh, because it looks cool. Because there's lots of haunted lighthouses there. Yeah. Speaking of haunted lighthouses, I was reading about one on the news today. Um, really. Popped up on my paranormal news feed, a haunted lighthouse off the Mass Coast, um, the Mil- Milch. Mil- oh God, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, give me a clue. It's about fifteen miles off, off the coast. Built in the eighteen mid eight nineteenth century, got washed away after the in eighteen sixty. Uh, sorry, in, in got rebuilt in eighteen sixty after being washed away. Two keepers. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, menu light. There you go. Yeah. 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 I was reading all about the haunted minion light today, so that popped up on the news feed. Oh, that's strange. That was just uh, purchased privately. Was it? Yes, yes. The uh, government auctioned it off. Uh, It's actually in uh, one of my books, uh, Ghost Today. Hey, wait a minute. minute. Hang on a second. Chats amongst yourself while I dig up the uh, 
the writing okay. thing. Because it, it did say, in the story I was reading today, it said that yeah. even today that people uh, still see sightings of a, of a man, a figure stood in the doorway. But uh, what for a long time, people were reporting the sightings of a, a figure clinging to the outside of the lighthouse, yep. shouting in an unintelligible language until... Actually, that unintelligible language is Portuguese. I was going to say, a Portuguese mariner mm-hmm. uh, passing the lighthouse rec- heard the, the thing and recognised the language as being Portuguese. And apparently one of the keepers who was killed when the lighthouse was destroyed in the storm... Uh, was either born in Portugal or was of Portuguese ancestry. Actually, he wasn't a lighthouse keeper. Oh. He was an assistant lighthouse keeper. An assistant lighthouse. Well, he's still in the a lighthouse. lighthouse. The lighthouse keeper... Uh, had, had buggered off. No, he went too shore to get uh, yeah. supplies in the northeast they hit, and he was unable to get back in... Uh, let's see if I can find it. I'm trying to find it in my book. And of course, this stupid book doesn't have a... Uh, we have lots and lots of... Uh, it sounded books. a very cool one. I was because I was after reading the story. I was I was intrigued, and, and I was going to send you a message saying, uh, "Why haven't we been to this one?" And then I realised it was a long ways offshore. And like I said, it's private, you know, so that's another reason. Yeah, but uh, there are a ton of lighthouses that have ghost stories to it. Well, that's one of the intriguing things. I, I because it seems that a lot in Northern California, Oregon. Um, that sort of Pacific Northwest coast, there is a long history, again, of haunted lighthouses. Bingo. Got it. All right, so I'm going to do the little reading in, uh, from my book on this, so you have to bear with me. You know I'm the, not the best reader. About a mile off the coast of Massachusetts, between the towns of Situate and Cohasset, lurks a dangerous reef known as the Cohasset Reef. In 1847, the government ordered a lighthouse to be built there. After much controversy as to the design, cost-conscious bureaucrats chose a less expensive metal frame structure, a decision that would come back to haunt them. The new tower went into service on New Year's Day, 1850. Almost immediately, the lighthouse keepers, uh, keeper, Isaac Durham, uh, began to complain about the stability of the tower. Ten months later, uh, he, along with his two assistants, uh, resigned. The next lighthouse keeper, a man named John Bennett, uh, arrived in, uh, shortly after that. On April 14th, Bennett went ashore on lighthouse business, leaving the tower in the hands of his two assistants, Joseph Winston and Joseph Anto- Antitoni. That's the, the, the Portuguese guy. Mm-hmm. A-N-T-O-N-I-N-E. Uh, while ashore, a vicious northeastern raid preventing Bennett to return from the lighthouse. The rest... A uh, relentless storm pounded the coast, and around 10 a.m. the light went out. At uh, 10 p.m., excuse me, the light went out. The lighthouse had been swept away, and both Wilson and Antoine, Nien, whatever, had perished. In its place, a new granite structure was built. Since then, several lighthouse keepers have reported odd occurrences: the sound of ethereal voice whispers. Eternal, whatever it is, uh, the feeling of being touched by an unseen hand, and even a shadowy figure spotted in the lantern room. Strange taps have been heard on the pipes. This was a, uh, a common system of communicating by Wilson and Antoine. They would tap on, the, you know, because it was different floors. They would communicate by tapping. Uh, the glass soiled by seagulls would be mysteriously cleaned. Uh, fishermen uh, have glimpsed 
and seen a man screaming at them in Portuguese, stay away, stay away. Uh, yeah, and Tawini was Portuguese. Uh, it also, let's see, let's see, it seems that although Wilson and Antoine perished on that night in April, they continue to carry out their duties if they are unaware they did. So there you go. That's the little story that I, Maureen and I have heard about. What I, what I, I don't know why it popped up on the news feed today, but it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was interesting, what piqued my uh, interest were two things. One, uh, the uh, JW, uh, the, the assistant keeper, um, he he apparently d- uh, survived the, the the wreck and died of exhaustion and exposure on the beach really? after after swimming ashore, according to the post mortem. So I mean, there was a, like a double blow there because he after you know having the lighthouse washed out from underneath him, he gets ashore and then dies of exposure on the beach. But a lot of the experiences that people have had subsequently in the in the newly constructed or the eighteen sixty constructed granite uh, lighthouse mm-hmm. um, were very reminiscent of what people describe in uh, when they have infrasound exposure. Really? And the the, the, the shape uh, and nature of a, a lighthouse are such that they it would lend itself uh, to infrasound. So I was wondering whether that was, you know, something that, you know, if we sailed off a mile offshore and I had the equipment with me, we could measure for, for uh, interest sake. But then I realized that it was a long way offshore and it means I'd have to fly the equipment over. Yeah. It's actually, well, you couldn't fly it over because there's no landing. There's no island. The lighthouse is actually... No, I meant flight to the U.S. and then put it on a boat. Yeah. It's, and Nathan... The, yeah, lighthouse Nathan. Is, the lighthouse is actually built on a ledge, and it, it just sticks out of the water. There is no land on it, so... Well, that's just a shame. Anyway, Nathan says that um, Cohasset was uh, were some of the exteriors for the Witches of Eastwick were filmed as well. Whoopie do. So there we are. But it just... It, I don't know why why it popped up on the news feed today, but it did. Um, and I was reading it this morning, and I meant to talk to you about it mm-hmm. um, because it, it seemed an interesting place. And it, in terms of the the more recent experiences that people have reported uh, from the keepers until it until it became automated, um, yeah, I was looking at it going that that reads just like infrasound exposure. I wonder. I wonder if that you know was a possibility because you've got this tube-shaped structure exposed, you know, to, to the weather and the elements. Uh, what was also intriguing, of course, was the ringing of the fog bell, or the perceived ringing of the fog bell by the keepers, the the recent keepers mm-hmm. um, in the in the in the granite structure, even though people ashore or people passing in in boats were unaware of, you know, the, uh, the fog bell being rung. The keepers would themselves say they thought that the fog bell had been rung. Now, that uh, auditory hallucination is a feature of some types of infrasound exposure. Well, you're saying that it's audio hallucination, but you well, really, really can't prove that, of course. Well, I can demonstrate... You're just, de- you're just deducting that it, it is because... Well, yes, but, but, but you, based, upon, based upon the fact that uh, whilst at the same time that the keepers were sometimes reported... You're, sometimes you're too quick to... to well, no, 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 I'm not yeah, jumping to I, I think you are, I think you are sometimes. I'm not jumping to any conclusion, and I use the word hallucination in, the, in, in its proper and correct sense, in that it was... 
you have the reports of the keepers who say mm-hmm. that they that they thought that the fog bell had been rung, mm-hmm. and yet at exactly the same time when the when the keepers checked, they discovered that nobody else outside of the lighthouse could hear the the fog bell. Now the fog bell is designed to be heard over a great distance because agreed, agreed. that's its job. So. The fact that nobody else except the keepers inside the lighthouse could hear it is indicative of a hallucination. So it's not the wrong term, but I was looking at it in terms... But it also could be considered paranormal in that it may be a time slip where... I didn't say it it wasn't. I said it was indicative of an infrasound exposure. Mm -hmm. That, That is something that you can test for. And if that's not found, if it's found not to be a solution... So if you went along and measured the infrasound at the lighthouse and found it to be not supportive of that hypothesis... What if... if, I mean, you you say that the the results of infrasound is this and this, and... but. Is it really, uh, or is it just you're just correlating with it? In other words, could it be really paranormal detection? In other words, could infrasound be some type of a, a paranormal key that unlocks uh, the, the realm of whatever and uh, it makes it exposed. Uh, you know, I mean, we, you say, okay, you, hallucinations are, are brought, but uh, is it, how, what proof do you have that? That's, that's, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, proof by experimentation. The best sort of proof, because we have we've been able to do experiments where large numbers, hundreds and hundreds of people, have been exposed to infrasound. Yeah, um, and they have in, in, uh, reported an enhanced level of or enhanced number of paranormal experiences um, that they have experienced. But if if but, infrasound but, is is a key to that. Uh, opens paranormal activity or opens a realm, then they may be experiencing paranormal activity. Um, The short answer to that is we, we, that is a a less likely scenario. I'll agree with you on that. And you, if you have a plausible explanation, then you can stretch anything into implausibility. And I think the mark of a good researcher, and this applies both ways, because often a skeptic will will seek to explain anything away, and when they run out of right. reasonable things, they will resort to fraud and you know all manner of other things. But I think it has to work from the other point of view as well. You you cannot be so desperate as to always try to invoke a paranormal call explanation right. when you have a perfectly reasonable, plausible explanation that has been demonstrated by experimentation to be worked. Uh, now, for example, uh, we don't need to look. You still have people who are desperate for their orb photographs to be paranormal. Oh, yeah. And yet, you know, they are very, very dismissive of uh, any experiment that demonstrates normality, even when that, when that um, normality is proven by the camera manufacturer producing in the guidebook for the camera that they're using an explanation as to why their camera is producing these, these blobs of light. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, it has to work both ways. If you want the skeptics to be open-minded and to stop explaining everything away in terms of 
uh, fake and rubbish and misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. As a believer, you have to turn around at some point and accept that, you know, things aren't always paranormal. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you on that. But, I mean, sometimes we just take too much – we jump to too quick at conclusions. Well, when we're making a hypothesis, it might sound like we're jumping to a very quick conclusion, but I I reach a conclusion based upon a lot of experience and a lot of other similar case work or similar experimentation. And so when I look at – when I was reading the Lighthouse Report this morning, for example, I was reading the experiences of the crew uh, of Lighthouse Keepers who have Mm -hmm. manned the light. Now, I'm not looking to debunk anything they're saying, but what they are saying in in terms of their experiences, to me, read exactly like many other cases where infrasound had been either strongly implicated or had been directly shown to be a causal factor of the experiences. Now, as a reasonable investigator, the first thing I would like to eliminate is that possibility. So that would mean going along and measuring the infrasound to be able to determine as a fact whether it was uh, playing any any part in the creation of the experiences. So it's not not to go along and to, to wave, a, wave a, a dismissive hand over mm-hmm. uh, people's experiences and say, oh, well, that's, that's infrasound. Exactly. That would, I mean... That, that would be wrong. I mean, I understand, okay, you, you've, you've conducted experiments and and the results of the experiments have proved this this and this but if you're dealing with a situation where you have a variety of uh experiences and they're not just associated with uh infrasound then why are we just ruling out all of them because we've got to start somewhere and one of the if you look at the the um the witness accounts Mm-hmm. What what, the, what those people have themselves experienced, then it suggests things that might be worth exploring further. Now, one of the things I was reading in the testimony this morning, the accounts suggested that infrasound may be implicated. Mm-hmm. And so it would be something that we could quite quickly and relatively easily, in my case, eliminate as a possi- or prove as a possibility. Now, if we were able to eliminate it and say the infrasound was within levels that we would not consider mm-hmm. um, an explanation, then we would have to develop a new hypothesis and look at other possibilities. Oh. If if it was found that infrasound was within those levels that we would consider plot possible, mm-hmm. then we, you know, we could look at the structure of the lighthouse, we could look at its design as being, you know, what, what inside the lighthouse is causing this, this effect. Mm-hmm. So it's, but, not, it's, it's, it's simply a starting blo- uh, point. Right. I mean, because, you know, I, I understand you can rule because, but where you have eyewitness testimony of yeah. goings-on from the outside of the lighthouse, yeah. then... Those can't really be explained by infrasound, can well, they? Well, yes, they could, because infrasound has the ability uh, to travel over vast distances. Uh, it's, it's easily possible for an infrasound source, for example, like a lighthouse, um, if we took that as a point source, if we put a big infrasound speaker there 
and generated, uh, we could work out mathematically the sort of frequencies. But let's assume, for example, it was around 10 hertz, which wouldn't be implausible. Mm-hmm. That, that would be easily detectable and measurable uh, at 20 or 30 miles distance. So the the fact that so I mean this is the by, case. If this is the case. I mean, people in the, in the middle of a city would be having re- paranormal experiences as a result of the lighthouse. Is that what you're telling me? Um, not necessarily the lighthouse, but certainly there are you know there are infrasound sources much nearer than the lighthouse and therefore much stronger than the lighthouse. Also, there is still a great deal. Infrasound doesn't explain everything, and. That's something I th- I must absolutely stress. It's not a universal panacea. It won't explain a great many of people's experiences. And in itself, it won't explain any. But in combination with other factors, it will explain some paranormal experiences. And it is something that we are now able to measure and we are able to understand. And it is something that we can at least eliminate uh, from our inquiries so so in the case of looking at the uh, testimony of, of the people who've worked at the lighthouse and people who've encountered the lighthouse by sailing nearby mm-hmm. um, there was a strong indication in reading the, the accounts this morning that infrasound would be worthwhile measuring okay I understand that that's you know that's something you want to look into and, and yeah. if there isn't high infrasound then then you can rule that out well, it would never rule out all of the experiences, but you could certainly no, I mean, No, you could. In other words, for instance, say you you took your readings and, and the infrasound readings were extremely low. Uh-huh. You could rule out infrasound yeah. as a cause of some of these exactly. experiences. Okay, and, I understand then, that totally. Yeah. That's, that's, and, and then you could, that's a proper way of doing it, yeah. Yeah, and then you're not wasting any time pursuing you know, blind avenues of inquiry by speculation. You're actually doing it by measurement. So, and likewise, of course, if you find that the infrasound levels are off the scale, or you know, uh, or it, strongly implicated, then you could say, well, we have a most likely scenario. So let me let me ask you this then: if if let's say what's what's a really really high uh, infrasound reading, extremely high, um, anything above ninety decibels. All right, so let's say 90. Okay, so you get a measurement of 90, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean if you go into that location, you're going to have a paranormal experience because the infrasound is at 90 decibels? No, no because you will get 90 in, in many, many, many places. You will have 90 decibels in, uh, for example, a city block, a city office block, uh, downtown Boston. Uh, but isn't have... that flawed, though? So you're saying infrasound is the no, cause, cause? No, 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 no. I haven't said that. And if uh, the, the paper uh, and the book Paracoustics makes it clear that infrasound on its own is not a universal panacea explainer. Uh, much as people would love it to be, um, wow. it, it, it operates in combination with other factors to produce an overwhelming sensory experience that some people will interpret as being paranormal. And in fact, uh, only around one third of the population will will interpret it thus wise. Um, the other two thirds will wonder what the heck's happening. Okay. So anyways, we've run out of time. The, the bell is rung, which means pizza from the dead is here. And it's certainly not the way you 
we were going to go with the show, but it, it was certainly interesting. I, I found it intriguing. Uh, you answered some questions for me, which uh, is always good. And uh, so anyways, um, we've got to wrap it up. But I want to mention a few things that I got coming up uh, for those who are interested. Tomorrow I will be at the Tuxbury Library doing a lecture uh, on Saturday, Maureen and I will be in Salem, Massachusetts at the uh, Salem Night Tours, and I will be talking about uh, New England's Most Haunted. Uh, we will... You always do all the good stuff after I go. And then on Monday, I will be doing a red light seance with uh, Leslie Martin and Roxy's Wicker in Portsmouth. And then, of course, on Tuesday will be my regular red light seance, monthly seance at BZ. So if you have a chance, come and visit me. And, happy, birth- and happy birthday, Leslie. Oh, there you go. So, so, that's good. So, anyways, uh, you know, check out all my events at anyghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And have you done your uh, your uh, paranormal thing yet? You were, you said you were going to do an event? With- no, it's this, it's this coming Saturday night. Uh, Anne, myself, Dylan, um, will be running Parascience's very first public investigation for 11 years. Really, down to three people. You you're gonna run the whole whole we're thing. Just, we're just we're just good at it. Yeah. Okay. I can see this. <laughs> we're just good at it. Mm. <laughs> we don't need anybody. I, I would love to be a fly in the wall there. I'll tell there's you only, that. There's only twelve people going. Yeah, it's, that's that's it's good. Simple. You know what? That's I don't like large crowds. It's three to one. I really, I don't like large crowds. I much have a, rather have a, you know, it's just better for everybody involved. So it's anyways, a small, small venue, so we don't need a big team. Yeah. So are we gonna go now? There's the uh, music. So last uh, night. Yep, yeah, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International. Thanks a lot. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.